You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 408, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Mike Kudermarsh is a software engineer at PlanetScale, where he's building a serverless relational database. He's been writing Ruby for over 10 years and was previously part of the team that built GitHub Actions. Welcome back to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Mike. It's been seven years, but I'm back. Oh, hell yes. Mike, (laughs) as a reminder to everyone, what is your developer origin story? Well, it all began, I was in seventh grade. I was a chubby seventh grader with a bowl cut. So a super cool kid back then. And I was also very into computers. I think mostly because my dad was into them. So he would use them, like I would check them out and play around as well. And I remember discovering that I was using Microsoft Word and I could do save as HTML. People probably have no idea that's even a thing. But I did. This was at the same time that GeoCities was very cool. So you could save as HTML and then upload to GeoCities and you had a website. And I got like obsessed with this, learning the marquee tag and putting GIFs as backgrounds and like all of that kind of stuff. So I was making websites about video games and sports teams that I was on. And that was kind of my introduction to it. And then it just snowballed from there. It turned into like the thing I was obsessed with. And I would be like, if I had a day off from school, I was spending 16 hours on my computer, just like learning stuff. And I got into Macromedia Flash, rest in peace, but one of the coolest tools that existed. And I remember when using that, I'd make like music videos to songs in Flash. And I was just like having fun and showing my friends. And then one day I discovered you could like right click and open up this coding panel to do different things. And I vividly remember the first time I understood an if statement and how exciting that was. Cause I was like, oh, I can like make my videos way cooler and have the button someone can press and it can do different things. So I think that was like my first like real intro to programming that was beyond just sort of HTML and CSS. I have to confess that I took a community college course on Flash. I thought it was so cool, Mike. (laughs) It it was the coolest. It really was the coolest. And I remember when they killed it and I felt a little part of my childhood, not necessarily childhood, but I felt like a part of it was just like dying. Oh my God, me too. And I still sometimes, because it was like so influential on me, was all of those Flash websites that came out when I was in high school. It was like a new time in web development because they were so cool and well-designed and it was like a video game. I'll still sometimes look them up on YouTube because I just want to like remember what that was like. So awesome. So what led you to Ruby and Rails then? So I was in college and I think it was, it's probably like 2008, which is feeling like a long time ago now. And I had a professor who threw me a Ruby book and he was just like, I think you will like this. And he was right because I'm still doing it. Yeah, I looked at the Ruby book and I was so excited about it because at the time I'd been writing things like PHP and Java. And like, obviously it's a huge difference and so much more fun to write Ruby, I think. From there, like I got into Rails, like I got a Rails book and I started making websites using that. And that was sort of the most productive and easy way to make sites. And right after college, I wasn't able to get a job doing Ruby because I was brand new and didn't have any experience. And at the time it was, it was like tough to break in, but I kept working at it. So nights and weekends I would do 
Rails and I had like a, a developer job where I was writing Perl by day, which was like really, I mean, it was okay. I, w- I was happy to just be employed and like writing code, but it wasn't what I really wanted. So I just kept like grinding at Rails and I got pretty good at it, building projects on the side. And then I would apply to startups and eventually it worked out. Like I, I got a job doing Rails full time. And I remember like those first six months where I was doing Ruby every day. I was like, it's like the most happy time ever. I'm just like absorbing and learning so much. I love that so much. So as we mentioned early on the episode, you were on episode 202, which was about seven years ago with Sean. And that was a behind the scenes look at Product Hunt. So I guess, Mike, can you catch us up on the last seven years of what you've been doing with Ruby and Rails? (laughs) So I'm still writing Ruby and Rails. It's kind of become my career. So like shout out to that professor in 2008 who threw me that book because it's worked out pretty well. So Product Hunt was acquired by AngelList. And I remember at the time, that's like a big life event. And I remember telling my family and they were like, Angie's List? The thing that's on TV commercials? Like, no, AngelList. It's like a venture capital thing. And they didn't care. (laughs) It would have been cooler if it was Angie's List. So I hung around there for a while after the acquisition. But then I got this opportunity to join GitHub. And this was, I think, 2017. And if you remember like the Rails community in 2017, working at GitHub was just like the absolute dream. That was the coolest place to be. All of the people were there. Katrina Owen was there, Tender Love, Eileen Codes, like all of these people who are big in the Ruby community were working on GitHub. So I joined, I had that like same feeling again where I got my first Ruby job because when you join GitHub and if you're a fan of Rails, just like the things they do with it and getting to like work on that app, which is basically keeping the entire software community working together and like seeing how that works is like, it was super exciting. At that time, was that when they were still trying to get to the current version of everything and come off their forks or was that work done already? I can't remember the timing on that. Oh yeah, when I joined, I don't remember the specific version, but it was definitely way behind. Like I had been using the most recent version of Rails. I joined and I start like writing code. I'm like, oh, that's not available. (laughs) Oh, this is a really old Rails app. And so then from there, when you were at GitHub, you became part of the team that built GitHub Actions. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. When I initially joined GitHub, I was working on Marketplace and I did that for probably a year. And so GitHub was starting to work on Actions. I think at the time it was called Tasks, maybe. Yeah, it was called Tasks. It had a couple other names. It was like an internal thing that people were working on. And GitHub brought together this team of roughly... There's like 30 people at GitHub, engineers, product designers. And they're like, we're going to go all in on this thing because we think it has a ton of potential and we want to build actions. So they brought this group together and it was kind of like, we were all like lent from our real teams at GitHub and like joined this team that was just around GitHub actions. And we started building it. And it was like, again, like some of the most fun I've ever had. One of the things I'm most proud of is if you use GitHub Actions and you use the log page, if your build fails and you're looking through logs, that's a thing myself and a couple other people built in. It was like three or four days at an offsite in, in Boulder, Colorado. It's cool to just like see that that went from this sort of little team in a conference room and it's now, I don't have access to the numbers anymore, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's the biggest CI system in the world at this point. So that was really cool. That's amazing. 
And then from there, I mean, you're now at Planet Scale. So how long have you been there and like, what's your role there? So GitHub got acquired by Microsoft and then I was around for two years after that. And in this time going through an acquisition, at least like my family knew what Microsoft is. <laughs> they were like, that's cool. <laughs> Although, you know what, when you tell people you work for Microsoft, people don't actually think it's cool. I think they're just like, yeah, I know what that is. It's not like telling people you work for Google or something. Oh, I knew I use Office and Windows. Yeah. So the way that all came about was I really didn't have any intentions at all of leaving GitHub. I was still having fun. It wasn't the same. It grew up to be so big just from the Microsoft acquisition. I think that it was almost four times as big as when I started. And a bunch of people who I'd worked with on that little team that built actions were all joining Planet Scale at the same time to work on building this serverless database. And they asked me to come along with them. I really didn't want to leave GitHub, but it was just the opportunity and the idea of building. These were like the, literally the best people I've ever worked with at GitHub, like across the company. They were doing this and this felt like it had so much potential. I had to join in. So I joined roughly a year ago and I mean, it's been like sort of that same feeling again. Like I'm super excited again. The stuff we're building is so far going really well and I'm like enjoying it. And the best part, I'm using Rails every day. I love that so much. Now, what stage is the company currently at? So I'll explain a little bit about it. At GitHub, we had all of these super cool internal tools. For people who haven't worked at a, a big company like that before, there's all these things they build internally to make you more productive and sort of handle scale that are very helpful and they don't really exist outside of those companies. So one tool that we used was called Vitesse. It's actually open source, like anyone can use it. It's just difficult to use. So you really need an infrastructure team or like people who understand things like Kubernetes to run it. And that's not most people. So the software Vitesse that we use, it allows you to scale out your databases horizontally. You know, when you're using Heroku and you just pump up the more dinos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone loves that. So it's, it's the same thing, but for databases, along with a bunch of other stuff, it will handle for you. If you're making a schema change, it will make sure that it goes out safely. You know how like when you're making a schema change, there's that list of things you need to go like, oh, am I adding a default column? Am I going to like break production right now? And you get kind of nervous about it. At GitHub, we had all these tools where you could submit a Rails migration and it would just sort of figure it out for you and run it in a way that was safe. So like you're never going to damage production. So like all that cool stuff, we are taking that and building planet scale based on Vitesse. So all of those tools that big companies have available, we're making it for anyone. So any Rails developer can now get access to those things that we had inside GitHub. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Honey Badger. Honey Badger is one of the easiest decisions you can make. As an engineering lead on a tech stack that supports a UI, API, mobile application, and Chrome extension, it is awesome to have all of my error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and check-in monitoring in one place. No matter how great your team is, your code is going to have errors. Honey Badger empowers your whole team to own the features they ship. Honey Badger sends you alerts real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. 
Head over to honeybadger.io and discover how HoneyBadger is used by tens of thousands of pragmatic developers and companies of all sizes who want to focus on shipping great, error-free products. So this is tooling that I would be able to use on my own Postgres database or are you hosting my database? How does that work? Yeah, probably should start with this. PlanetScale is a serverless relational database. It is MySQL compatible and built on using Vitesse. It's very similar to using Heroku. We handle everything for you. You're not figuring out your vCPUs or how much RAM you need. You kind of just go and click. We set up a database for you. It's 100% compatible with Active Record, and you can just start using it and not worry about things. And our sort of whole goal here is to make it so that there's like a lot of database tools out there today where you can start with them, but you eventually outgrow it. But for us, like this is the technology that the companies like GitHub and YouTube use. So clearly, if you're going to make it to that scale, you're very successful. So we can grow with people like you can start here. And then no matter how large your business grows or how much traffic you're doing, like we can help you crank up the dyno, so to say. That is so interesting. I'm definitely going to have to check it out. How big is the engineering team at this point? Oh, I think we're maybe 40 people. The entire company right now is 85. It is more than doubled since I joined a year ago. So yeah, things are going very well and it's accelerating very quickly. Well, we've already figured out, Mike, that you're a good luck charm based on all your developer origin stories. So I'm not surprised that Planet Scale is doing well. I hope so. We'll see. Well, with that, we're done with programming. So this is the part one of a series of two for home gym episodes. So the reason behind this is that I had tweeted out that I really wanted to nerd out with some Rubius about their home gyms because I take mine super seriously and I have a lot of opinions. Mike, from what I've gathered, you were a very popular request. Is that true? (laughs) So multiple people DM'd me your tweet and they said, I don't want to call you out in public, so you should reply to this. And then at least one person called me out in public and I was like, okay, you're right. This does describe me. Yeah, it was Nate Berkopak. So Nate, thank you for that. I definitely trust his opinion. So I definitely had to reach out and book you right away. So let's get into it. Mike, talk to me about fitness in general. What's your routines? Why do you care about it? What's your current home setup? So I've been into fitness for basically as long as I can remember, like I did sports as a kid. And then in college and after I got really into weightlifting, really just because I wanted to be swole. (laughs) Yeah. When you're in college, it's like, I just want my biceps to be big and like my shoulders to look good. So that was why I really started. But once you sort of get into it, it's very similar to programming where like you get that flow state and that feels really good. And then also it's just the mastery of different skills because like in fitness, there's infinite things that you can work on and it's sort of a way and just continually get better at. And it feels very good to master a skill. I've done pretty much everything from sort of like standard bodybuilding stuff. I've done a lot of CrossFit stuff. And then leading up today, I would say what I do now is called functional bodybuilding. So if like someone would look it up, like that's what it is. The best way to describe that is if you're familiar with CrossFit, it's all of those same movements, but I would say slower and set up in a way that is much more structured and progressive. It's almost like the nerdy, smart version of CrossFit, which works well for me. 
So I am a CrossFitter. I actually have a meeting later today scheduled with my tier three support engineer. It looks like a one-on-one, but it's actually us watching the open announcement for 22.1. Very excited to see what it is. (laughs) And for those unfamiliar, the open is a three-week opening competition to like the CrossFit games. And so anybody can participate. They have scaled versions. And it's basically your opportunity to kind of compete with the elite, which is a lot of fun. So, Mike, are you used to going to a gym then? Do you have a home set up? What does it currently look like for you? I used to do the CrossFit Open. I'll probably watch it. It's going to be Olsen versus Zellner. It's going to be very exciting. So I'm a fan of the sport big time. Like I watched competitions and like when the CrossFit games are on, like I'll watch it all weekend. I just don't do it as much anymore as I used to. So for the longest time, I went to a gym and then this was all kind of just spurred on by the pandemic. So in 2020, when the pandemic started, I actually worked out at a CrossFit gym. I didn't do sort of like standard CrossFit classes, but I worked out in the back just because like I love like the energy and the culture and like that type of equipment and movement and just like those people, like I love CrossFit people. So when the pandemic started, everything was closing down in San Francisco and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? It's just like a huge part of my life. Every day I do some sort of movement. I like to do something. And we were living in a condo in San Francisco at the time. So like there are a lot of options, but I just did the best I could. So I got one adjustable dumbbell so it could go from like 10 to like 60 pounds. And I got a box and a yoga mat. And like that was it. And that was the beginning. So like I could do stuff at home and and I had like a jump rope and you could like run outside. But that was like sort of the very beginning of my home gym. It from there, last year, we left San Francisco and moved out to Pennsylvania. So I live outside of Philadelphia now and had a house with a basement for the first time. So like I knew when we were looking at houses that it had to have a spot where I could build a gym. If you have the space, why not? It sounds so much better than needing to go to a gym. So when we were looking at houses, we saw a place with a big basement with high ceilings And I was like, oh, yeah, this is the house. I don't care about anything else. (laughs) Yes. I've already told my partner that when we eventually do get a house, that he's not going to be parking his car into a garage. The garage will be mine. I am calling it ahead of time. (laughs) Yes. So then how about acquiring all that equipment? For me, when the pandemic started, I was a fitness instructor at a YMCA. And so I had access to a ton of equipment before, but then you're right. I'm one of the people as well that had to shift to home. And so we had a spare bedroom and we essentially dumped out everything that was in that spare bedroom. I gave it away on Craigslist. And then I've slowly been building up this little home gym to the point where I prefer working out at home. Though I agree with you, I still go to CrossFit a couple times a week just because I really love the community. But I will tell you, the hardest part of building my home gym has just been acquiring all the equipment. So how did that go for you? Especially because during the pandemic, everything became very popular. It's much easier now. But I remember at the time, some college dude had written, it was called the Rogue Bot. So Rogue Rogue Doc Bot. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay. I use that too. That helped. It did. And I have an episode where I recorded with my partner because the Rogue Stock Bot at one point, you know, Rogue caught on. And so they blocked it. I didn't know that. And so 
I really wanted the rogue fleck plates because I'm vain. Oh my and- God. No, I wanted those so bad. Oh, I have. Oh, you do? <laughs> You're a baller then because I wasn't able to get those. He wrote me a bot. And so I'm sitting there, I'm writing code. And all of a sudden I get all these order confirmations. I was like, what is happening? And I'm like, oh, his bot finally saw that they restocked. And so he got me my plates and then we immediately retired it. We're like, up, oh, got the plates, no scalping. We're going to be super cool about it. I got my plates and then I was done. They are my babies. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm so jealous. I wish I knew you at that time. (laughs) Now, Mike, what about data in programming? So it sounds like you do a lot of things that are self-directed, which actually takes like a lot of ambition. So I'm curious, like, how do you know day to day what you're going to be doing? Okay, so I'm not self-directed at all. I have a coach who I've worked with for over three years now. Her name is Brianna Lamb. If anyone wants to look her up, she's on Instagram and like shares a lot of great info. Yeah. So she's been coaching me for three years and I feel like that's the key to success. That's like the cheat code. For a while, I did try to figure it out on my own, follow various programs or you'll do what everyone in the gym is doing. But I just had like this desire for more and I wanted to be better at skills. Like I wanted to be able to do pistols really well or like learn how to do muscle ups or if I had like some sort of pain. I didn't want to have to figure it out and work around it on my own every day. Hiring a coach, that is definitely like the cheat code to progress. And she keeps me accountable. So every week, every Saturday night, uh, we use this app called True Coach. And she just plans out my next week for me. And I have day by day what I'm going to do, sort of like what equipment I'm using. And she keeps me accountable, really. So like, It definitely helps. I think if I didn't have her, I wouldn't be as consistent or successful with this as I am. Like when you're paying someone else to plan it for you, you just really feel that obligation. Like you don't feel that great today. Oh, I'm definitely going to do this workout though, because someone hand wrote this for me. And I know if I don't do it, they're going to look and go, oh, you didn't do this workout. So do you record yourself or do you just basically go in the app and say, yep, I did it. Here are my times. How does that interaction work? A bit of both. It works really well for people. Like, I think this would work really well for you. When you're experienced with the movements and like know what you're doing. I know she does help people who are newer to fitness. And I think they probably do a lot more over video and it's sort of simpler movements. But at least for me, like I really know what I'm doing at this point. So for the most part, I'll just write in the times and weights that I used and track it. But then each new cycle we start when there is a new movement, I'll record it just to submit the video and go like, hey, does this look perfect. Am I like doing this right? And like, she'll give me tips and sort of adjustments. That's so interesting. This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash Ruby on Rails. Now, how about tracking sleep, nutrition, 
Do you wear any sort of wearable at this point? I have on my left arm, I have a whoop. And then on my right arm, I have an Apple watch. So uh, I love the people that double wear. I find that so fascinating. I've thought about adding an Apple watch. I am a very happy whoop user. So that's great to find another person that has one as well. Ooh, I don't know if it's still working, but if people go to my GitHub, I figured out how to use their internal API and like post how much I slept per night on the GitHub profile. <laughs> I, I need to check if it's still working because I, I think I got an email that the, the action bot was failing. But yeah, if they do have an API, it's just internal and you have to figure it out yourself. That's awesome. So to explain to the listeners, so basically Mike and I wear a Whoop, which is a very funny name for a wearable, but I like it because it's a weird name. And so it's very clear what you have, but it's not a watch. I mean, it's basically a wearable that you wear all the time. It tracks how much you sleep. It reports in your heart rate variability, your resting heart rate. If you have the newest version, it tracks your blood oxygen level and your skin temp, I believe. And so what's nice about it, it's the first thing I do every morning is when I wake up, I trigger it and say, how much sleep did I get? And then it will give you a score for the day. So you're either in the red, the yellow or the green. And you're supposed to look at your whoop and you're supposed to decide your exercise routine based on what you're able to take on that day. So I have to ask Mike, how seriously do you take your whoop score? <laughs> well, some days I will wake up yellow or red and I kind of just go for it anyway. Totally same. I like to know in terms of the data, oh, I don't think I slept that well. And then I'll look at the whoop and they'll say, you slept well. And I'm like, I slept well. <laughs> like, I just like, I will let it convince me of things. So I ran my first full marathon, as the listeners know, a couple weeks ago. And the most exciting thing for me was finishing it and just dying to know how close I got on the, you know, for Whoop, you can get up to a 21 on the strain score, but you can't really. It's a logarithmic score. And so people are very obsessed with trying to get as close to 21 as possible. My full marathon clocked in at a 20.7. And that is probably the highest I'm ever, ever going to get. And so I just really like to nerd out over that kind of data sets. I feel like maybe the highest I've ever gotten is an 18. So you've got me there. I'm definitely more of a cardio focus, probably fitness person than you are. But I agree with you. It is definitely geared more towards the cardio aspects. I think what I'm excited about is that I think they acquired a company that's more focused on strength strain. And so I'm hoping to see more come from that. Now, have you upgraded your whoop from three to four? I would say not. I'm oh, afraid to. I'm afraid to because the four just, I feel like it had a very shaky launch. And you know, the technology, like, I think I'm kind of waiting it out a little bit. I would say now is probably safe. But yes, so I upgraded it immediately. And I think the first month was rough. As working on a, a person who works on software, I was like, oh, I feel for you. Yes. I felt <laughs> yes, bad for them. Yeah, it was rough, but now it's fine. They've made a lot of progress. How about routine? Are you someone who has to work out in the mornings, the evenings, afternoons? Like, how does that fit into your work life? I do the mornings. I used to, a long time ago, work out in the afternoon because I, I feel like your body just sort of feels better in the afternoon because you're mm -hmm. warm. But I feel like there's studies around this that say like, oh, you'll perform better in the afternoon. But like, as your life gets busy and things happen with work, after work is sort of always up in the air, like things could come up and you need to do something. So I'm a strict morning person. 
it is the thing I do before I do any work because I just like to get it out of the way and then I know I'll get it done. If I leave it to later, like who knows, it might not happen. I'm absolutely the same way. I like to get it done. I think it puts a shine on the rest of the day. I really love the serotonin. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm probably semi-addicted at this point. I just love that feeling. And as someone who kind of has a lazy routine around what I do when I'm programming, and we can dig into that, like I am not a standing desk person. I have a very comfy chair. I'm doing a lot of sitting. I'm in a lot of meetings. I want to optimize that. I have a treadmill. There's no reason that I can't be walking during meetings. It's just like walking and answering Slack messages. I haven't optimized for that yet, if that makes sense. You might like this. I have a bike erg. Have you used one of those? I haven't. So a bike erg, it's the concept two version of basically an assault bike. There's this company that builds, it's called the erg desk. (laughs) So it's basically, it's like a piece of wood that can go over the handlebars and you can put your laptop on it. So I will spend 30 to 45 minutes like writing code on my bike. So I'm like getting some movement and it's pretty legit. Mike, how? How are you spinning your legs and able to concentrate? I'm just like very impressed by that. I feel like that's a skill in itself. (laughs) I think you just get used to it. It's kind of like working at a standing desk. You just sort of get into the groove. That's awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to check that out. So do you have any big fitness goals for this year? Is that something that your coach dictates? Curious if there's anything that you really want to accomplish this year. Yeah. So I'm in my early 30s now. And I feel like the goals have kind of switched a little bit from back when it used to be like, oh, I just want to be swole. Now I'm thinking about things like I just really want to be pain free all the time. Like you see people write about my neck hurts or my back or that kind of stuff. I just don't want any of that ever because that's sort of the most important thing is like being in no pain and being able to like move and do the things I want to do. Like that's most important. And my career is what I care about more. So I need my fitness to like support that. I want to like feel very healthy every day. I want to have full energy. I don't want to be having like a dip and feeling sleepy after lunch. I want to be able to like, when I'm working, just be able to go full on all day, feel clear headed, feel good. And that's really the main goal. And that's what my coach helps me with. I think those are such good goals. And I think it's so reasonable for me. If there's a fitness challenge that is presented, there's no question I'm going to do it. So like when I went out to visit Denver, you might be aware of the incline, which is like this really massive like staircase that goes up a mountain and people like train to be able to go up it. And my friend was like, do you want to do the incline? I'm like, yep, let's do it. Didn't train for this, but like (laughs) I know that I'm fit enough that I can survive and get up it at like a decent pace. So I'm 37. I kind of love it when, you know, I do fitness in front of other people and they're surprised by my age. I think that's how we stay young, nutrition and fitness for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we start to wrap up, we're going to bring it back on to the programming. So Mike, as someone who has been working in Ruby and Rails for so long, what are your thoughts of the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? Rails, I'm still convinced and I'll argue with anyone on Twitter that it's the most productive stack out there. I just think everyone should be building their business on Rails. And just ignore all the noise out there. Just use Rails and get your work done. The stuff that I'm excited about right now is like lately, there's been a lot of contributions coming into Rails from companies like GitHub and Shopify. I just remember from working there that there was just so many cool internal things like gems and sort of monkey patches that we had. 
that the community didn't have. So it's nice seeing that stuff be contributed back. The one that I'm most into now is, I think it was, I don't know, it's been in like the past year or so, there was this database connection management, I don't know, monkey patch that we had at GitHub. And what it would do is when you are reading, doing a Git request on your Rails app, it would always send all of your queries to a replica. And then if you're posting, changing data, doing like a post or put, it will always hit the primary. The magical thing it would do there is if you hit the primary, the next request where you do a Git, it would keep hitting the primary so that you don't have to deal with any replication lag. So if you add a data and you then you do a request, the data is going to be there. This is like a very powerful thing that's now built into Rails. And I think the thing that we're going to see soon is there's this big push. You see it in like other frameworks, but not so much Rails, where people are putting their applications closer to their users. If you have users in Europe and your servers in US East, like that's a lot of latency. And to get like really fast, like you want your app to also be in Europe. So if you think about that, the new active record connection management tooling and regional deployments, you could do something today like this, where you could put your Rails app in US East, and then you could put a database replica in Europe, and then you could also deploy your application to Europe and have that application in Europe always be reading from the replica. So you're saving a ton of latency and it's much faster. And then kind of just extrapolate that across the globe. You now have like this global Rails app that's very fast wherever your users are. So that's an exciting little thing that I think came out of GitHub and we're going to see more stuff like that. And it's just amazing that we get those kinds of things for free in Rails. Oh, yeah, because a lot of frameworks don't have them or they kind of feel like you use them. You're like, oh, it's like five years behind Rails. This is just already done. Exactly. So, Mike, how can listeners follow you? For social media, I'm pretty much only on Twitter. And there I am MSCCCC. So MS4Cs. Awesome. Well, I will link that all up in the show notes. Mike, thank you so much for coming back seven years later. It's great to catch up with you. And of course, thank you for nerding out with me around the home gym stuff. I could talk about this forever. (laughs) Thank you. I'll see you in seven more years. Yes, you will. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.